It's 2015, and if one of your goals is to grow yourself as an Agile coach or, or see what other Agile coaches are doing, why not consider attending the Agile Coach Camp U.S. West, held in Irvine, California, April 10th through 12th? Go to agilegathering.com for more information. It's a great bet that all the voices you hear on today's podcast will be there as well. Welcome to Agile Coffee. This is episode 18. I'm so happy to welcome again my four friends, Brett, Larry, John, and Dale. So good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Just real quick, Brett Palmer can be reached on Twitter at Brett underscore Palmer. Larry Lawhead is on email, lawhead5 at hotmail.com, John Jorgensen at waterscrumbon, and Dale at the Digital Dale. All right, so now we've got all our cards. Let's move them. Uh, we're going to move them to the middle, but after, after we uh, explain what they are first. So we'll go around the room and, and say what, what the cards are that we have in front of us. Uh, Larry, you've got four at least in front of you there. Yeah, I've got four cards. I have a lot of questions that I want to discuss today. I read the book, The Phoenix Project. Great book, amazing book, I would say. But here it is. Maybe I'm a, I'm a man of little faith, but is it possible to do 10 deployments per day? Now, I've been talking about, talking to our, um, our senior developer about this, and she's all ready to look into it. Okay. Next one. Does UAT have value for a scrum team? We just had a, a big discussion and a shuffling around things, and, and I had no objections to it. But it doesn't really feel necessarily right from a from a scrum point of view. I think the retrospective probably covers it. But I didn't have a choice, so we put together a UAT team, and it's uh, it's history now. But I'd like to see what you guys think about that. And, and, and finally, your last card there. John quote. This is a quote from John from the last time we, I was here, and he said, "IT ops is the next big thing." I'd like to find out why. <laughs> great, great. We have a card that says four pay phone bridges. Yeah, so I've recently um, had some experience that's suboptimal with different kinds of phone bridges or webinar platforms, and I'm thinking, um, for example, freeconferencecall.com, it might not be as stable as I like or as clean as I like. I'm interested in exploring phone bridges that do work consistently from anywhere, even if they cost money. Good. Future host cities for Agile Coach Camp US West. Yeah, so we've we've launched the ticketing for Agile Coach Camp US West, and we're going to, of course, um, see that success unfold in April. We are, th- or I'm thinking, maybe this would be a good time to start planning and approaching individuals that are interested in having an Agile Coach Camp U.S. West in their city outside of Southern California. So what if I'm a person in Boston? Did they call it Agile Coach Camp U.S. West? No. You'd have to be probably somewhere in the west or maybe the south. But you know what? That's another thing that I was thinking is maybe any place that's not already represented. with Will be called U.S. West. Yeah, or change the name. And... uh, and Dale's got a few cards in front of us. Dale, why don't you read through some of your topics? Yeah. Uh, 
mobile build frequency. If anyone has had any experience building mobile applications and how frequently can you realistically do builds, how frequently should they be done, if you've had any uh, challenges in that respect. And uh, my last question is uh, time boxing elaboration and requirements discussions, uh, specifically in like Kanban environment where you don't have a formal planning meeting, but you do have a meeting where the idea is to discuss uh, and elaborate on the user stories. How do you rein people in and, and, mm-hmm. and keep them from going too far down the rabbit hole? How about uh, four votes apiece, everyone? Mm-hmm. So spread the, uh, put the cards in the middle of the table, and, okay. and you can mark up your cards with uh, all four votes on one card or spread them out amidst the different cards. <clears throat> now, as we were voting today, uh, we started talking about the Agile Coach Camp U.S. West that's coming up, and Dale started telling us about a similar uh, experience that he had while he was at Disney. They had what was called the Pooh Camp, as in Winnie the Pooh, and it was an outdoor event. And, well, let's just let Dale explain what it is. They, uh, we, they did a Pooh Camp, which was based on, oh, uh, which was based on Pooh Camp. Okay. Uh, What's Pooh Camp? Uh, Friends of O'Reilly. He was the one who oh. kind of his his organization, O'Reilly Publishing, kind of started this thing. You kidding? Where he, yeah, I um, know that. he got together with a bunch of his friends, and they would they did this like camp thing where they would get together and and do like an open space thing where they would talk about these topics. No way. And then yeah, and then Disney like copped it, and I'm sure oh, we were wow. we probably weren't the first company to cop it, but we we copped it in kind of a big way, um, <laughs> and did awesome. this like poo camp. Um, and so they sent us like, uh, like they 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 put like, you had to like send in like a, a one page like uh, like essay or something as to why you thought from they they put it out there like everybody in the company it's like you put like a one page essay it's like why you think you should participate in Pooh Camp uh-huh. they decided the people that were going to participate uh-huh. and there was probably like a hundred or more people that they sent out to this. To the old Disney ranch in Santa Clarita, uh-huh. I guess, oh, wow. where he used to. He had like a big plot property up there, and they use it now to, to like shoot like outdoor scenes for like western movies. Oh, and, interesting. Uh, and that, and uh, they set up like little tents, and had uh, the and you know you did the open space thing, and then you would uh, the whoever was going to host a, a, an event for a particular time slot, you'd go into that tent, and the people would go into that big tent. And, well, so, that's that's so, exactly yeah. what I, I wanted to get to when I wrote Agile Coach Camp U.S. West. Uh, you know, what are we thinking? Because we, we are doing it at a campground, mm-hmm. um, and I'd love to hear any – and I had no idea, Dale, that, that you had this poo camp going on, that Disney was doing that. This is, wow. this is amazing. I want to I hear more. Yeah, me too. And, and, and by the way, I was thinking, like, Brett, there could be poo camp bear raids at <laughs> 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 Coach Camp. <laughs> so don't feed the bears <laughs> you know especially the pooh bear he's yeah, got he's, he's kind of could be wild coyotes and yeah and he could be hooked on honey <laughs> so i'm just saying but pooh bear. but yeah this is is uh it's local yeah. for us right yeah. um this so you don't great. have to stay but we did get the bungalows and, and the bunkhouses so that people could kind of bond Overnight in pajamas, as you said on the, on the website, you know the pajama party in the evening kind of thing. But we've got the, the, the campfire, the circle going on at nights. Um, you know the roasting marshmallows can be done, that type of thing. So yeah, all outdoors and the, and the great outdoors there. 
Yeah, the Disney thing, they didn't, people didn't stay overnight there on the campgrounds. There wasn't mm-hmm. facilities for that. Hmm. But they, I think they did have a, for people that were coming from out of state or from really remote locations, like, if they were coming like from, from the Anaheim facilities or if they were coming from Florida or something, they did have a, I think they rented some hotel rooms at a nearby yeah. hotel up there. Uh, so it was just the daytime activities, but they did the, they did the, the, the cookout, they had barbecues uh, yeah. and that. They had featured, uh, they had some keynote speakers like each night. It was, it was like a Friday, a Saturday, uh, it was like all day, like I think on a Friday and a Saturday. Um, they had a couple of, they had some keynote speakers every night. Um, did you have any activities that involved like going off into the woods, like trails or kind of uh, snipe, snipe hunts? <laughs> no, no, there, no, there was, there was nothing like that. Other, other than that, it was organized like a kind of a typical open space conference. They did have sessions during like the uh, a couple of of like really splintered off like sessions during uh, some meal times or around meal times where. They would have uh, people would like host their own little discussion tables in the in the dining areas where you'd put up a you'd, you'd put up a sign of what you what, what your table wanted to talk about what the specific thing was that you wanted to address and that would attract like you know maybe a half a dozen right. or so, so it's kind people of like a marketplace that would talk <laughs> that would talk about like that people that were interested in particular things mm-hmm. like like at the time it was the, the the big thing was uh digital rights management and that so that was one of the tables that i that i went to um and so yeah that was that was one of the things they did yeah, I was going to say, I mean, um, at this camp, there's like a zip line and all kinds of stuff. I, we haven't, you know, uh, necessarily cool. explored it, but um, they but might. I'd, I'd love to hear examples of other outdoor camps, uh, yeah. not necessarily agile camps, right, to see see what could be done. Yeah, the way, yeah and the way that they did it was that like, they, they set up these large tents to be the classrooms. Oh, so they had these, that's interesting. Yeah, they were they were ba- they, you know those kind of like tents that you rent for parties. Um, yeah, but they were those kinds of things. Canopies, right? Yeah, yeah. Not at the time of year that they did it. Um, as I, I'm trying to remember what time of year it was. It was like spring or fall. It wasn't in the summer, right. so they didn't have a problem up up there with that. The only problem they had was was like wasps being attracted to the food, mm-hmm. but. All right, uh, great. Lively topic that just kind of came up um, very spontaneously, but we happened to have a card that covered it. Next card up is, does user acceptance testing have value for scrum teams? UAT value on scrum teams. Larry, I believe this is yours. Yeah, this is mine. And what happened uh, um, over the last uh, couple of weeks, I've been being told that uh, uh, we have a gap in our uh, production process, and that gap is that we need to uh, find and identify a UAT team. Um, fine. I, I mean, I didn't have any argument against it, so that's mm-hmm. part of why I brought this topic up. And so we have the team together. We did training this week, or had somebody from from our uh, uh, from New York fly in and, and give us some uh, give them training. And we have it in place. It's going to work. Uh, I've I've done a lot of IT, uh, so QA. I've done a lot of QA management, but. 
I have a little conflict in it is if I've done my retrospective, the end user has already seen it. Yeah. Why do you want the end user to go in and do testing? I, I'm not sure, so that's why I'm bringing this up. Um, I, 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 could, I could speculate, but I was going to ask, like, whoever it was that was proposing there be a UAT, did they cite a specific cause or problem space as to why they would want a UAT? They said it gets stronger buy-in from the end user, and they might find some issues as they're working through their normal everyday workflow. Yeah. Okay, but they, they might run into something. The, are, they, are they confusing the sprint review with the end-to-end testing that happens when you're actually doing integration? Could be some that I'm not sure. Um, and the, and the, the other thing is that there's so I could understand why if you have a consumer product and you're not sure, like we're IT people, right? Even the product owner is an IT person, presumably some of the times. And if the end user is not to have any presumed knowledge of how software works or anything like that, maybe having them. Interact with the product before it goes live. Yeah, like on a staging environment. Yeah, and then yeah, that's what it would be. It's exactly oh, what well, it see, is. Well, well, yeah. Well, then it would have value because now you're yeah. iterating on the requirements now, for the epic. Now, my, my point though is not, is is that UAT is one approach to improving on the user experience. There's exactly. Many other that approaches. was that was one of his major arguments. Yeah. Is, uh, we'll find out because no one can sit down and really figure out how the application is used, but the end user themselves, and they well, might come true. up with a weirdest way of doing it. There's also other approaches. So you could take, there's like user-driven development. um, And you could could literally have a a user hired to be on the team from the product backlog grooming point of the development cycle all the way through, you know, in the sprint when you're, you know, having the card conversation and confirmation constantly saying like, I don't understand or this doesn't make sense or how do you do that? And when those kinds of questions arise from your user right in the middle of your scrum team, Mm -hmm. it changes the way that probably you approach the design of the software. Right, because there's so many different wonky sites that Mm -hmm. I've been to personally that I'm like, why did they design it this way? Or or even iPhone applications where I'm like, this is really clunky and this is really strange and how they laid this out. It's not intuitive, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so I could see that there would be tremendous value in, mm-hmm. in something like that. Yeah, all those things you've mentioned, we've gotten from the end users already. Why did you do it this way? Mm-hmm. I don't work this way. Why did you? Who told you to do it this way? And it goes mm-hmm. on and on, back and forth, back and forth. Mm-hmm. And so I thought we have nothing to lose, but... I still need to settle that with my scrumness. <laughs> mm, I see. Well, um, I, I believe that if you – so there's you know um, several books written about Scrum that I think make reference to UAT. And just instinctively, because I don't remember where I've read it, um, instinctively I would probably turn to Kenny Rubin's uh, – is it Scrum Essentials? Or am I getting it backwards? Essential Scrum. Essential Scrum, thank you. Yeah. Um, I would probably look in the index there first, and then I would go to the next you know, book that you have as kind of your desk reference on Scrum. Right. So the, the card was asked the question, does UAT have value for Scrum teams? And I think the answer is yes, yeah. it does. I agree. Brings the topic to an end. And um, just wanted to remind everyone to join the conversation by using the hashtag TellAgileCoffee. Let us know what you, um, what experience you have with user acceptance testing and your Scrum team.
or anything else. Next up is time boxing elaboration and requirements discussions. Dale. Yes. So I'm working in a, as I mentioned, in a Kanban environment, and they've traditionally been having a, a kind of a general purpose meeting that covers a few different things. They walk the board. It's kind of like they may, if they have time, uh, deal with a couple of retrospective issues. A, a lot of the time in this in this weekly meeting, which uh, is now for for one platform, it'll be about an hour apiece for each of the two platforms that we're developing for iOS and Android right now, and a a great deal of the time is spent on it, it, it's almost like a uh, like a mini planning meeting. They spend a great deal of time uh, discussing requirements for a very small number of user stories. And sometimes there, you know, we'll have a, a a list or a backlog, if you will, of several user stories that we need to address. And a lot of times we only will, out of the, you know, uh, half a dozen or so that we may want to address, we may only get through a, a couple of them because they're going very deep in the weeds about how they're going to technically mm-hmm. implement it. Okay. Uh, anybody have any, and, and I think we need to be dealing with uh, – higher level things about these stories and uh, getting through more of them in, in that session mm-hmm. and then dealing with some of these details in sidebar meetings. Anybody have any suggestions as to how to uh, kind of rein that in? Make it a lean coffee. There you go. Problem solved. <laughs> oh, I wish it was that easy. I know. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Are you talking about uh, – are you discussing the – the what we're going to do, or are you, going to, are you talking about the how we're going to do it? You've already settled it's the white both. question. Oh, that's yeah. probably – I try to separate the two. I try yeah. to keep the two meetings separate. As long as the business people are still debating the what, I try to keep the IT people out of it. But as soon as we go to the how or we start transitioning, then I get more and more involved. Yeah, and what well, what's happening too is that the discussions are they are somewhat interactive between uh, tech and product because oh, yeah, they're using thing, yeah. some they're 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 going into this thing about they're they're using the meeting time to negotiate. Oh dear! Mm. Uh, to, it's like well, we can do this, so this will take extra time. Uh, how about this? And so that's the, it's that kind of thing that I'm accustomed to seeing. I may be answering my own question here. I'm accustomed to seeing. Like this is like these little sidebar discussions that should be happening between product and uh, uh, and and uh, and tech and dev, uh, like outside of uh, of a large meeting. Interesting. We're having the same problem, um, and I haven't got the answer to it yet. But. I, I and I've I've had the same problem as well. And the the closest I can come to a solution, I don't I don't feel good about it yet. But is like silent estimating. In other words, mm-hmm. you can't say anything. You have to hear, you know, read read the story, you know, the as a, I want so that. And maybe there's acceptance criteria. Maybe there's even given when then. Or context and observation slash, slash specification. Um, so some behavior-driven behavior development um, Elements that that map it from the user story down to basically the unit test set, mm-hmm. but once that's documented in the story, no conversation is allowed because that it's that conversation that just goes down to any level of specificity and detail. 
that winds up becoming a six-hour conversation. And no matter how badly everybody is saying that they hate meetings and wants to go into the making rather than the talking, those conversations spin out of control indefinitely. Yeah. And so, um, yes, by all means, like, have have the behavior-driven development and the test-driven development included in the consideration of what constitutes a user story. But there's got to be a way that people can come together and play silent planning poker. Yeah, and I was thinking of, like, poker chips or giving someone, like, a physical, like, a commodity that they could then push to the middle of the table to extend a discussion or... or or not, you know. And That's brilliant. Some kind of a voting, but it goes to yeah. your silent prioritization of it. Yeah. Sizing of it, yeah. And, you know, previously we talked about, like, pachinko mm-hmm. yeah. sizing, and the beauty of it is that it doesn't involve conversation. Right. That there's, there's this concept of the, the, game, the game grid or the, the, the game board and the stands, and... The conversations happen in the stands where people just say, hey, um, how about that player, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's the um, people that are actually the doers, the, the creators of the software, and they signal each other through actions, not through words. And so much more happens, more empirics can occur when people are taking action rather than talking or commenting yeah. about it. Yeah, um, that's deliciously interesting uh what do you think tell us what the hashtag tell agile coffee keep the conversation moving let's move on we've got the next topic it says is it possible to do 10 deployments per day larry is that possible? yeah again i don't know that's why i'm asking <laughs> uh, what i've done is I, I i read the phoenix project i'm really i'm really psyched about a lot of the ideas the concepts in this book and i've been talking with our um uh our lead our architect who she also is in charge of deployments and we've been saying okay we got to automate this process she's been doing actually a really good job uh when tasks get assigned to her during a scrum we said no no we're not doing she's not doing it we'll give it to somebody else that we got to keep her clear and it's been working out for us and so i presented her with this challenge i said let's get a pipeline uh deployment pipeline is so clean and so efficient that we could do 10 a day. And when I first mentioned it to her, she goes, what, are you nuts? No, I, I said, no, mm-hmm. no, let's think about it. Mm-hmm. it. Wouldn't it be great to have a tool like that? Even mm-hmm. if you don't use it, it's that efficient. Mm-hmm. And she's totally all over it. Mm-hmm. But then I have to loop back now. I thought, i, I got to <laughs> ask you guys, mm-hmm. have you had experience with this? Uh, is it possible? Uh, if it is possible, give me uh, some scenarios. Make, pay, paint a picture that I could present to her and say, this is what we could do. Oh, well, I know, like Netflix, Amazon, a lot Etsy, of... Etsy, even. Etsy, yeah. Really? These are folks, and, and Gene Kim actually covers this in some of his wonderful presentations, um, where, yeah, like deployments are happening. These are YouTube couple. presentations you're talking about? Um, well, I've seen them live. They might be in SlideShare. Um, they might be on YouTube. And um, he... He's presenting this idea of like, okay, sure, as soon as you say, well, do they exist? Okay, yes, they exist in the wild, but they're these behemoths. He'll say, but yeah, the, the, the smaller, mid-sized companies can, can do that too. Um, do I know of smaller, mid-sized companies doing it? No, because you know, my source is still you know, Gene Kim, and it's at an academic level. I've never been there and seen there, mm-hmm. done that, never seen the tools, et cetera. But uh, in actual practice, yes. 
Um, I think that you have to have a, a goal, which you clearly have, and give yourself as an organization time to evolve up to that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and then the, the question will, will eventually arise, well, why? What is it that we get by having 10 deployments a day versus one? Mm-hmm. And if there's not value there, then everybody's going to say, I'm not going to strain to get the 10 if I don't see the payoff. I think that for, for me, the payoff is, and this is my, has been my approach, is we can beat our competition. Can our competition do that? Is that going to benefit us? We have a problem. We need to solve it. We need to solve it today, mm-hmm. and it needs to be into production today. Mm-hmm. It's some kind of, you know, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Boom, you're done. You, can, you know you can do it. I think we could, we could beat them hands down. Yeah, I mean, talk it, about efficiency. You've got an efficient shop. That represents a lot there. If you know that you can do a deployment at, at the snap of a finger, a drop of a hat, whether it's scheduled or not, yeah, that's that's where you want to be. Mm-hmm. Do you have to do 10 deployments just to do 10 deployments? No. no. But, I mean, no. once you get to the point where you can do 10 deployments, and maybe you, maybe you do want to build up a, you know, for the next week or cycle, we do want to, like, try to hit a, a, a target of how many deployments a day just for the sake of getting familiar with the process. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe mm-hmm. there isn't something going out with each deployment. But there's also a difference between, you know, doing a full you know, what, what's when we're talking about a deployment, what's the scope of the thing we're talking about? What, what you were talking about almost sounds like a hot fix. And I've worked yeah, with a lot yeah, of organizations yeah. that were not, that, you know, didn't have, that, that had pr- some pretty arduous deployment processes. But if they needed to make some small fix to something, they could get it done pretty quickly if they wanted to. Well, and again, I think this is one of the reasons why I see de- DevOps as being a, a driver of overall excellence in software development and operations is that in order to get to 10 deployments or any high-frequency deployment scenario, you need to have fully automated regression tests. Yes. And that itself yes. is this mammoth undertaking. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, requires an extremely mature, um, optimized system as a whole. So when you talk about big, audacious goals being things that drive um, software development teams to attain greatness in software development, the equivalent of this amazing product that's going to change the world, the equivalent would be this amazing process that's, that's exactly going to change the world. I don't think yeah. you can separate the two. You want no. an amazing product. You've got to have an amazing well, product. Well, you also want to make sure, though, that the process matches the product. Yeah. That yep. it makes sense, right? Yep. yep. And, and I couldn't have said it better. You, you know, the, the two are interrelated, mm-hmm. and, and it's profound. It's not simple. We're not saying that this is like, oh, you just got to shape up and fly straight. No, this <laughs> is like you, you're going to have to solve all the problems along the way. It's not going to be easy. Our final card today says... Mobile build frequency. Mobile build frequencies. Dale, what's that all about? Yeah, I was wondering if anybody had any experience with building uh, mobile applications and difficulties or challenges with the frequency of being able to do the builds and and get the pro- uh, get the product into the hands of the testers. One of the pro- one mm-hmm. of the challenges that I'm facing right now is the teams uh, don't and the management of the teams don't want to do. Uh, builds for QA very frequently. So we're getting this big, in our Kanban system, we're having this big buildup of things like every week or uh, uh, into the uh, a ready-for-QA column, uh, and they're not releasing the stuff to them. 
on a more frequent basis, which I think would be a lot more beneficial for testing and, and getting the mm-hmm. feedback to the developers. It's like, hey, this yeah, is buggy, exactly. fix it now, rather than a week later where it's not even fresh in their or more mm-hmm. where it's not fresh in their heads anymore. And then you get into that whole problem with the, the, the difference in time between uh, development and, and QA, and the longer it goes, the, the, the greater the cost is to everybody. Uh, so if you had any experience with, with, with uh, or, or what, some, what some of the common problems are with doing frequent builds for, uh, for mobile platforms? W- and- okay, so I can, I've worked in the space previously. I worked for a large entertainment company um, with many offshore components. Um, <clears throat> and I would just say that you have to have a big enough QA team in order to be able to be able to test on all the different mobile platforms. For example, mm-hmm. if you are creating a game, for example, on a mobile device, you'd want to be able to make sure that that, de- that game is going to run specifically on that device. So we're talking about an iPhone with Sprint, like an iPhone 5 with Sprint, an iPhone 5 with Verizon, an iPhone 5 with AT&T. You want to make sure that that game is also going to for, um, format correctly for Android phones, which might have a different screen resolution. So you're talking about a lot of different builds for the same game and then a lot of different testing on every single actual hardware device. You're not actually t- testing with emulators, but actually on a physical hardware device in order to really get into making sure that everything is going to pa- and then you need a platform to be able to track all the different builds um, and all the different mobile devices that you have. So, for example, at the entertainment company that I had worked at previously, we actually had a, a room just dedicated. It was like a little library room where we literally had millions of dollars worth of actual physical phones that we could check out at any different point in time and actually then test on those actual physical devices. And so oh, that's um, it was really, really, it was really interesting to see. Um, I, I'm wondering if we're actually, though, talking about the same thing because um, what I've heard is that, you know, basically you know, making your commits and seeing if you break the build before you go home each day on an individual developer-by-developer basis is sort of the gold standard, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And how would you know if you broke the build? Well, I, would, I think what they're talking about is that you know, the, the IDE itself says, like, okay, there's, there's an issue here, um, and, and it doesn't require the kind of testing, automated or manual, that, that you're talking about, Brett. Um, of course, it's better to know to that level, but I would say as an interim maybe just having a practice of checking in um, your commits and seeing if you broke the build or not at yeah, the end exactly. of each day is is a good, healthy first step. Well, I think that's just the best practice in general. Yep. And I wouldn't even say that that would not apply to specifically to mobile. Right, exactly. In fact, maybe, I mean, that's an element that we should just all chime in on is there something about mobile that modifies this conversation of build frequency? Well, that's an interesting. Well, I would say that when we're talking about making some sort of intellectual property work and all the different configurations of mobile, mm-hmm. because with desktop uh, HTML5 type of applications or yeah. even applications that run natively. You're only talking about Windows, a few different operating systems, a few different versions, and and Mac for the most part, making sure that your applications are 
ready. But when we go into the mobile space, there are so many different. So what you're speaking, yeah. So what you're speaking to really is that the hardware difference. Yeah, the mobile aspect basically precludes a full automated testing suite from happening, and so that is going to impact whether you know whether you've basically regressed or not. You just got so many more variables now because you've got different hardware devices and screen Mm -hmm. dimensions and carriers that uh, are associated with each mobile device. So, Yeah, it makes me feel like maybe a lower frequency of at least regression is is inevitable. Mobile. So we're going to be getting on the road. You like how I did that? Yeah, I saw you did uh, (laughs) that. So we're wrapping up is the message here. This has been a great interaction today. Yeah. All right. I want to thank my uh, fellow podcasters here today. So uh, once again, Larry Lawhead can be reached at lawhead5 at hotmail.com. Thanks for coming, Larry. Yeah, thank you. As always, Brett Palmer as well. Brett underscore Palmer on the Twitterverse. He's nodding. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being here, Brett. Dale, Dale Ellis can be reached on Twitter at the Digital Dale. Good to have you here today. Thanks again. Love being here. And John Jorgensen at Water Scrumbon. Thank you. It was fulfilling. I reached my zens. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great time. Thank you. Thank you all. I am very thankful to you, and we are thankful to our audience for listening and making us uh, Thank you. feel the love on this end. Uh, believe it or not, we do uh, care about your feedback, and your feedback will be at work. With 2015, the new year, we've got some uh, some changes in store for the podcast. Uh, maybe a logo, maybe a jingle, who knows. Uh, we'll see what, what's down the pike for the new year. If you are thankful for these podcasts, please, please, please do us the honor of going to iTunes and subscribing. Maybe giving us a five-star recommendation. Ooh, that would make Maybe my stocking. Maybe giving us money for pizza. Oh, <laughs> we love that too. Don't well, we? let's focus on the <laughs> iTunes here. Yeah, first. Yeah, let's, exactly. let's get the five stars and write a review would be nice. We've uh, earned it. Let's give it to us. That ourselves. would be helpful more than anything. That's more right. than pizza is the five-star so, review. Yes, exactly. And a, positive stroke, and a review. That's all we're asking. <laughs> Go to AgileGathering.com and check out more information about the upcoming Agile Coach Camp U.S. West, which will be happening from April 10th through the 12th. Those are the official dates, of course. As Brett mentioned, we do have some programming, uh, optional programming in the days preceding and following that. More information online at www.agilegathering.com. Well, that brings us to the end, so thanks once again for listening, and come back next time for a fresh Agile Brew. Coffee.